Hey everyone, welcome back to the M&M Hockey Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Alex Metzger. Along with me is my co-host, Chase McCallum. And today we're going to do an award show. We'll touch on the playoffs as well. Uh, kind of quickly recap round two and round and look at round three, I think, as well. But um, figured let's get the awards out of the way. All the um, all the ones have been, the finalists have been announced. And I, I think they're supposed to be announced at some point this week. So figured it'd be a good time because there's only so much we can we can analyze. We obviously talked about the Jets series basically to at length last week when it was three nothing. It ended four nothing, um, and then you know even the Colorado Vegas one was uh, it that ended up going how it looked. Same with Tampa and um, um, the the Boston series was back and forth a little bit, and what we'll, we'll stuff to talk about there. But just generally speaking, I didn't think there was going to be enough for a full episode on that, so we figured let's do the awards and. Um, a little tough doing these i think next year what i want to do or if i can try to remember is write all my award picks down at the start of the playoffs so i don't have any playoff bias because i feel like on one or two of these there's definitely a little bit but for the most part i, I tried to just separate what's happened in the playoffs and only well, obviously only be looking at regular season stats but even just try to remember the narratives and stuff heading into the end of the year because i don't know what you chase but so there was one or two awards where i definitely was like Oh, I need to have this guy higher. And it's like, well, that's kind of more playoff based than anything else. Yeah, hundred percent. One of the few things the NHL actually does well is making people vote before the playoffs start to just avoid any possible thing like that before it could even start. And cause you know, it would happen all the time. Like we, we were having a legitimate discussion last year. If um, Braden point was near as good or almost as good as Connor McDavid by round three, because we were just that freaking bored of stuff to talk about, you know, like, Yep, and how that looks now. Yeah, exactly. Well, hey, one of them's back in the third round. The other one didn't win a game, so I guess he's I better now. Because, um, Kucherov makes nine point five and not ten million. Because if Kucherov made ten million, we all know the Lightning would be bad. Yeah, exactly. Because you can't win with a ten million dollar player, but but you can win with two nine and a halfs. Yeah, or you know, people taking up the same percentage amount of cap. Yeah, or Pittsburgh winning with one guy making 9.5 and their backup goalie making five, but, you know. <laughs> and anyways, um, narratives are fun, but let, let's get into the award. Uh, let's get into the easiest one here, in my opinion, the heart. Um, we get, I guess, like, let's just get one and two over with, and then we can kind of uh, debate back and forth here. Usually we'll go three, two, one, I think, but um, for this one, it, it's McDavid one. There's, there's no questions asked here. Yeah, I'm a goalies should almost always win the heart truther. But like at some point, you just have to look at what Connor McDavid did. Don't overthink it. He is the best player in the league. He was the most valuable player in the league this year and one of the most valuable seasons we have ever seen. So give him the damn heart. Yeah, I mean, it's like it's it's almost like um, sad how little there is to talk about just because of like how much of a given it is like it kind of feels like when we do our center rankings as well, we get to number one. It's like, we, we spend so much time discussing like 10 through five because it's such a jumbled mess and we get to like two and one. It's like, Oh yeah, by the way, or three, two and one is like, Oh yeah. Matthews McKinnon McDavid is what's going to head into this year. Right. It's just like, yep, yeah, there's not a ton to be said. And that's exactly what first place is. And to me, I, I'm, and maybe second's a little bit more of a stretch, but for some, but I have Austin Matthews second and I would be surprised if he's not in your top three as well, to be honest. Yeah, I have Matthews too. Um, it looked like he might have missed a little time more than more time than he ended up, and that was pretty much the only thing that could have knocked Matthews down the way he was playing was if he ended up missing an extended period of time in a short season. But he only ended up missing like four games, so I think it's pretty easy to have Matthews. Yeah, and I think the the biggest pushback from people immediately will be, um, you know, well, how can you have a guy? 
nominated for the heart when he doesn't even lead his team in points, but um, 41 goals in 52 games is how you do that uh, pretty easily, I would say. Yeah, just ruthlessly efficient. If you look at expected goals above replacement, um, there are three guys or only two guys in the league above uh, 20.3 goal expected goals above replacement. Matthews almost hit 30. McDavid hit like 26. Like Matthews was not better than McDavid because the expected goals above replacement would take away the passing talent and stuff. But like what Matthews did was absolutely freaking insane this year. Yeah. And like, I don't, I don't think he would have hit it, but like the fact that he was on pace for 65 goals in a normal season, like when's the last, I would have been an OV season the last time we saw that. Right. And there would have been, God, it's gotta be at least 10 years ago now. Right. Yeah. Over maybe a stamp post one in there, but. It was probably, yeah, I don't, I don't even know if St- did Samco's hit sixty. Samco's hit sixty these months. I just don't remember if Ovi's done it more recently or not. Now I'm going to check because it's guy. It's probably got to be one of those those two guys, right? Samco's in eleven twelve was okay. Yeah, he hit sixty on the dot. And then Ovechkin, um, had. Actually, he hasn't had 60. He hasn't had 60. He's only hit 60 once. That seems shocking. And it was 65 in 07, 08. So, yeah, Stamkos, like 10 years ago, the most recent one. And yeah. Matthew very much on pace to slow down and still hit that. Yeah, exactly. Like, And, yeah, so I don't know if he would have hit even 60, but he definitely would have been over 55 um, and probably close to 60 the way he was going. And so, yeah, that's why he's second place on my on, – both of our ballots and the number one team in their division. Granted, you know, the division didn't have a ton of top heavy teams, but uh, it didn't have, you know, it really didn't have that many bad teams either. When we're looking at the bottom of the roster where it's not like they like LA Anaheim, San Jose and Arizona all sucked completely. And so, you know, like Vegas and Colorado got to play them seven times each and no one's talking about that. Right. So. Yeah, exactly. And like we said last week, man, I hope, the Canadians, I hate the Canadians, but I hope they at least put up a fight against Vegas so we don't have to hear for literally ever people going, well, McDavid's insane season isn't actually impressive because of the division. Yeah, and also I think the Canadians going to six or seven and losing, like that has huge Ottawa 2017 vibes of they might just destroy their franchise by doing something stupid this summer. Oh, 100% about that. While we're on this, do you want to answer the question we had about them? Oh, yeah, sure. Um, did you save it by any chance? Because I did not. Um, I don't get that many notifications. I probably find it pretty quickly. Yeah, here okay. it is. Chris at BauerJ2424 on Twitter. He said, question for the next pod. What odds do you give Montreal of making the 2022 playoffs? I will be surprised if they do back in the division of death, and I think they're clearly the fifth best team. Thinks they're closer to Ottawa than Florida. That was that question. Yeah, I mean, I don't. I think that's fair analysis. I think I I would say maybe they're closer to Florida than Ottawa, but I would say there's a chance that like all three of those teams are even closer than people think. It really, it depends on what Florida's off season looks like as well, but Florida definitely has more game breaking talent. I think than well, either of those teams like Barkov is better than anyone on the Habs and the way Ekblad and even Uyghur were playing this year are both probably better than just about anyone on the Habs as well. Right. So like, the, I think maybe the one thing going in their favor is the Metro, I think, continues to trend downwards. It, like, Yeah, there could be five teams out of the Atlantic that go 
next yeah. year. Yeah, assuming we're back to normal divisions, right? And so, like, I don't know. I, I definitely would have them under 50%, though. Like, it would probably be between 35 and 50, kind of around there, maybe. Yeah, I absolutely would agree with that. And I agree with you. They're probably closer to Florida than Ottawa. But, like, if Florida has a good offseason and Montreal doesn't, like, they are closer to Ottawa than Florida. Very, yeah, or, very- like, if Montreal loses Jake Allen and doesn't find a suitable backup to actually play, like, decent minutes next year, they might be screwed because, you know, we'll get into this whole thing about, you know, where Carey Price fits as goaltenders and, and stuff like that as we go on too. But I mean, not for this show probably, but you know, when we do our goaltender ranking, it'll be interesting, but the narrative was being floated around of like, does Price actually not try during the regular season, just turn on in the playoffs. It's like, that would be a cool narrative if he was on a team good enough to get himself to the playoffs. But if it wasn't for COVID, he wouldn't have made the playoffs at all in the past two years. And then you'd be looking at your $10.5 million player going, why on earth are we paying you this much if you can only play good for five for 10% of the total season? Yeah. And it's this weird thing where like, yeah, they've came 18 twice in a row. Like let's not act like price. Every game isn't a playoff game for the Montreal Canadians. And that's been true for like years now. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, I don't know. Hey, well, this is a definitely a conversation for another time. But um, yeah, I, I definitely think when it comes to the Canadians and, and that question, I, I think it's fair thinking to, like, I will probably, despite they could win the cup this year, and I would still probably have them as the fifth ranked team in their division next year, as crazy as that sounds. But like, I don't know, like Dallas went to the cup final this year, and I had them fourth, I think, ranked coming in, and they ended up fifth, you know, like it, it's just, to me, it doesn't. It won't. It won't be that crazy. But you know, like Habs fans will be angry about it. We'll think it's nuts. Yeah, but yeah, because barring something catastrophic in the offseason, they're going to have less than a fifty percent chance going in on like both betting markets and like Dom's model to make the playoffs. I would think. Yeah. Well, and just like if they were, yeah, like we talk about the division, but like if this was an if this was a normal year, they were not making the playoffs in. in the division because yeah you take out winnipeg and edmonton but you add in tampa boston and florida who are all much better than them plus then you got the capitals penguins islanders on the other side the rangers weren't too bad either and i'm i might be missing a team yet too uh philly was pretty trash but but yeah like I, I don't know like it's just one of those things where like they were probably missing this year if they're in the atlantic at the very least they are just barely scraping their way in again, which again, if that's the formula you want to go use, go for it. But I don't think that's very effective. And I I've heard a lot of people compare to them. This kind of gives me a reminder of the 2012 LA Kings. And it's like, I know guess, but no, like, you know what I mean? Like, like, yes, like Montreal is a very strong underlying metrics team, but that LA Kings team had shooting talent and just sucked to start the year. This Montreal team was just who they are for the past four or five years, you know, a really good possession team that has not had much shooting talent and they've had a mix of some shooting talent and well shooting luck and goaltending luck in the playoffs and that's what put them this far yeah exactly because like montreal will now be the weaker like montreal is a good play driving team so i at least vaguely understand how you could compare them to the 12 2012 kings a team with really good underlying metrics that uh finished kind of low and then ended up going very far. But like the LA Kings had the best underlying metrics in the league. The Montreal Canadiens had worse XG and Corsi numbers than the Toronto Maple Leafs and Vegas, two of the three teams they're about to play. Like LA absolutely ran everyone over in the regular season. The puck just didn't go in and then it started to in the playoffs. And after they made a 
Yeah, because they continued to run everyone over in the playoffs, which Montreal didn't do. I mean, round two, they absolutely did. They they steamrolled the Jets. There's no way around that. But round one, like Toronto was the better team in, well, definitely games two, three, and four. Um, and I would even argue in the totality of five and maybe six, like a couple of those overtimes, they absolutely don't. Like Price made like 19 stops in one overtime period. Yeah, like so, in that 12 run, like didn't the Kings lose like four games the entire time? Yeah, they went um, sweep, sweep, five games, five games, I'm pretty sure. I was looking at it the other day. Yeah, so the Canadians lost more games to the Leafs than the LA Kings did, period, that year. Yeah, I mean, I can double-check that real quick, but I know they swept the uh, Canucks, who had just won the President's Trophy. They won – they beat the Rangers in five um, yeah. for the finals, and then I can't remember the other two. Let me – I got it right here. Yep, they swept St. Louis and then beat Arizona, also known as Phoenix at that time, 4-1. Oh, sorry, and then they beat New Jersey 4-2. It was the Rangers in 14-5. So they lost three games total. Okay, so equal to the Leafs in one round. Yeah, So, but like that's just how like damn good that L.A. team was that year. And there was you can argue there were some upsets here and there. Like I don't think Phoenix is necessarily a Western Conference final team, even when Mike it was Mike Smith God run year as well. But um, yeah, like L.A. still beat – they technically beat the one, two, and three seeds in the West to go on, and they absolutely slaughtered them. So, yeah, but like yeah, I don't know. I, I think that's enough talk on Montreal from a heart nominee standpoint. Yes. That's <laughs> um, I'll get my third. I actually had Mark Stone down here. I, I think there's a couple names you could put down. Uh, McKinnon is the one who actually got nominated. So it was uh, McDavid, Matthews, McKinnon. I don't hate, I, obviously I don't hate McKinnon. I love McKinnon. He's a great player, but I, I don't hate McKinnon as an option here too. Um, I said Stone just because I think what McKinnon had going for him as well is there's so many good players, especially at the high end, like top line of that Avs team, where it was like Mark Stone, the two leading or the, the two players after him for on his team for goals above replacement were his two most used line mates and Chandler Stevenson and uh, Max Pacioretty. Uh, and then it was Petrangelo as four and a pretty big drop off to the next forward where, um, you know, McKinnon had uh, um, McCarr. We'll talk about Gerard had a great year. Devon Taves had a great year. Rantanen was really good again too. Like um, there's just so many names that, you know, I, I think I would have had McKinnon four or five, but I had stone just ahead of him. Yeah, this is one of the ones I put Stone above McKinnon on my heart boat as well. And I would love to know what I would have said pre-watching McKinnon just get absolutely shut the hell down by Mark Stone in the playoffs. But I can't actually know what my answer would have been to that question then. Yeah, I don't know. I didn't. Maybe there, there, there definitely could be some internal bias from myself there as well. But I try not to even really think about that either. I just kind of like... What I did was I wanted to sort just, you know, who, well, I mean, I, I looked at overall goals above replacement stuff like that. Like for me, you got to be pretty high up there and, you know, points do matter as well in, in a term as well. And then, you know, from there you can kind of look at, to me, I try and look at also like what your uh, team impact is as well. And, you know, how much you affect there. And um, funny enough, I had one guy who I kind of want to give an honorable mention to, but it's going to look real weird when he's not, anywhere near you think in another ward. So we'll circle back to that later. But um, yeah, I, I think that's, I, I, I don't mind McKinnon as number three either. I like, I don't have, I think he would have been probably four or five on my ballot. Yeah. I would have had, I don't think I would have McKinnon in the top five, to be honest, given how good everyone around him was. I probably would have had Hellebuck and Barkov also before uh, McKinnon. Yeah. Those are definitely two as well. And um, Barkov, I think is one that I, I, he, I think, is one that I maybe struggled on my ballot just because of 
playoffs versus um, um, regular season. Like if we would have done this, I feel like Barkov's dominance would have been more fresh in my mind. But after watching him just get shut down by the Tampa Bay Lightning again, it's just like, oh, maybe there is some bias there. But I, I definitely think that's a fair pick. Yeah, that's that makes sense. Watching him, watching that Tampa series did take a little bit of the shine off, but um, yeah, it was bad. I just completely agree with you. Said when McKinnon has like three number one defensemen, a goalie who played fantastic, like just amazing forward depth, amazing line mates, and everything. Like he was, he was so good, but everything around him was almost equally as effective. Yeah, and it's like kind of like the the thing that like guys like Kucherov even. So like we were when Kucherov won it was it two years ago now because he almost he lapped everyone else in points. Yeah, and said like a record for the cap era or whatever. It was like let's just like everyone basically said you just got to give it to him. He was the best this year, but there was a legitimate kind of drawback on him of like well he also has point and Stamkos and Headman and Vasilevsky. Like his whole team is just unreal, right? So. Um, you know, where there, there's a couple other guys where it's like, oh, yeah, it's a one or two man show or even if it's not, it's just they don't have quite the surrounding cast. Yeah, 100 percent. It gets tough because if you're on a team like Colorado was this year, you you have to do something so special like Kucherov was able to do to really get yeah. hurt. Yeah, for a hard run anyways, because they'll be scattered all around the, the ballots for everything. Right. So, yeah. Um, do you want to go to the Norris next? Yeah, I like that. All right. Um. This one, we'll start from three to one for this one as well. I have a couple honorable mentions here um, as well, but we, we can get ours out of the way and then I can look at the honorable mentions. Uh, so the ones nominated were Fox, Hedman, and Makar. Uh, again, I'm taking a pretty good guess that we both have two of those guys and not a third one, but uh, give me your number three. We'll start We'll start from three. My number three was Makar. Okay. Uh, I had Makar two. Yeah, that's fair. I think I know... I think there's a pretty common group of names that most people who think like us tended to have around the top. Yep. I, I think like, this is a pretty good year to be honest. And even more than I thought, like there was um like six guys that I had down here of like possible, you could kind of make an argument at least, you know, for the top two or three for, for really any of them, in my opinion. So. Yeah, this was a really good year. This was a good year where like your Norris vote kind of speaks to what you value about a season like every player represents a certain thing if that makes sense like Makar was absolutely dominant but he missed time so it's like what are your thoughts and awards voting on peak performance versus um actually playing enough games kind of thing and Makar is like the proxy war you have over that yeah and I I think like to me I try and look at it as like value over a whole season so you know you can't say like I don't know like it's tough because like so the reason I had Makar too um, was a he did miss some time and b I think a bit of the drawback is that he had two other defensemen in the top ten for defensemen for goals above replacement um, like Devon Taves and uh, Sam Gerrard are both up there I believe at least yeah. Taves and Taves is three Makar was one um, and Gerrard dropped all the way down to thirteenth um, and so it, it's kind of like the McKinnon argument where it's like okay like definitely Makar is part of the reason that this is so good but how much can you break up and like if you switched Makar and say Adam Fox, who I think is a name both of us will probably have in the top three here as well. Like what does the difference look like? Right. And so that's the biggest thing for me. So I put cutting McCars number two. Um, I, I think you could argue he could deserve to win it because his peak performance was probably better than anyone else's, but he did miss time. And I don't have anything wrong with him if he was three or four as well. Yeah, a hundred percent. And it's, 
it kind of sucks for him because what did he miss like 12 games? Uh, yeah, he played 44. So, yeah, 12. Yeah, so it's not like he really missed that much time, but it's just in the condensed season, missing 12 games is a little bit worse. Yeah, for sure. Like it's um, the equivalent of him basically, you know, playing 64 in a regular season, which I think that's right around the cutoff you're getting for, you know, not even being nominated for an award, right? So, yeah, that's the Giordano thing. I will say with Makar, um, he did benefit more from line mate finishing than anyone else in this in this conversation, save Victor Hedman, because he's not really in the conversation for either of us. I don't think that's going to shock many people who listen regularly. Yeah. And I mean, you know, if, if anyone is shocked for whatever reason, uh, Victor Hedman, he didn't have a bad season, but for Victor Hedman standards, he had a bad season, you know, like. Yeah. Cause everybody, that's this weird pushback where every nerds are like, Hey, Victor Hedman wasn't that good this year. And everybody's like, Oh, well, he's still Victor Hedman. He was still good. It's like, yeah. But Victor Hedman playing injured and struggling is he's still better than the average NHL defenseman, but he's not better than every NHL defenseman. Especially in this one year, you know, like if you're projecting going forward, that's fine. I'm still going to have Victor Hedman in my top three going into next year. It doesn't mean he was a top three defenseman this season. Exactly. Like if everyone's healthy and you need a game to save your life or whatever, the classic uh, half joke scenario. Like Hedman's probably the right choice, but like, it's just a fact that this season he wasn't the best defenseman. And yeah. And even that, like he was 16th, he finished 16th in goals above replacement for defenseman by evolving hockey. So like everyone was just, it's not like we're like, no one was saying he was actively shit or anything like that. It's just, no, he wasn't a top three defenseman in the league. And he even admitted to that by the end of the year where it was like, Oh yeah, I've been uh, not playing well lately. Exactly, because Victor Hedman's great, but he's not good enough to play worse than his best. He's not so much better than everyone else that he can struggle and still lap the pack. Yeah, so, um, yeah, Hedman's, Hedman's not in it for me either. Uh, my three was Mackenzie Weger, actually. Ooh, I like Weger. That's a fun one. So he, this is one where I, I don't think he'll get much love at all for it, but um, Ekblad went down and Mackenzie, we, like, we were kind of like, oh, that is a tough loss to Florida. Like, they really don't have anyone else, and – Kenzie Weger went, no, I'll just do what Ekblad's doing. Um, his even strength defense, and uh, you know, he was one of the best, like better defensive defensemen this year, too. He didn't put up a ton of offensive points, but um, you know, in pure defensive goals above replacement, he finished fourth uh, behind Adam Larson, Devon Taves, and Chris Tanev. Um, and that's from Evolving Hockey. Um, and his even strength defense, he was uh, right up there as well. I think he was fourth as well behind uh, Pelic, Tanev, and Larson. So, um, he just, he was overall very good. Just one of the better overall players. He finished second goals above replacement um, from all defensemen. I think he still finished about 12th in defensive scoring as well. So if you want to say points need to mean something, it's not like he just didn't score points at all. It's just, you know, he didn't maybe put up as many as, as some others. So not one that I think he will actually get much uh, love, but I definitely think he deserves some in a, in a top five for ballot awards this year. Yeah, that's fair. I like that pick, especially because you look at like the goals above replacement numbers and you think, oh, well, that's almost certainly inflated. And then you look and like half of his value came from uh, defense, not the offense that gets so heavily influenced by on a shooting percentage. Yeah, exactly. And it's just one of those things where it's like, again, like when picks like this happen, like I, I've heard the argument from people of like, I, I forget, I think I, I don't know if it was overdrive the other day I was listening to or if it was puck soup. I think it was overdrive, but it was, they were saying like, oh, you don't want to 
make random picks like this because then you get like a Corey Perry heart uh, like trophy or whatever. And it looks silly five years later. It's like, well, if it looks silly five years later, that means you're looking back on it wrong. If you're voting correctly at the time, you know, like bad players can have a good season and be recognized for that good season. And it doesn't, I'm not even calling Mackenzie Weaker bad, but like just average players can have amazing seasons and it doesn't make it look any less like, it doesn't make it any look dumb in five years. It's just, hey, remember that guy who has been a fine NHL defenseman and had that one really, really strong year? Like, it doesn't need to be the same names year in, year out. I've never understood that thinking. Yeah, it's really dumb thinking because, like, so Sidney Crosby, pretty consensus best player of the past 10 years. Jamie Benn was as good, if not better, than Sidney Crosby in, like, 2015-16. And maybe 20 years from now, people will look back in that and laugh, but – it's just straight up true as best we can tell at the time. Somebody like Jamie Benn simply has seasons as good, if not better than Sidney Crosby, because these things just happen. And he didn't, hasn't been like that good sense or anything, but he had a great season and you should reward guys who just have a great season like Uyghur did. Yeah, exactly. I and mean, same idea with, and I don't want to harp on the Hedman stuff too much, but the, the conversation was basically around, we don't want to leave, you don't want to leave Hedman off your ballot because you'll look stupid in a couple of years. It's like, no, you won't because Hedman didn't, Hedman didn't play that good that, that this year, you know, like, and it, again, I think that speaks lengths to how good Tampa is that even in the playoffs, Hedman has not been playing very well. Um, just regular to what Hedman usually plays. And they're still in the third round and favorites, even though they're probably down, probably still favorites, even though they're down a game in the conference final year. Exactly. And like, sometimes things just happen and you won't look as dumb as you think. Like, no one's making fun of dudes in 2018-19 who didn't have Carlson on their Norris ballot because he's so good now. And Pete Carlson was probably the best defenseman since Lidstrom. And that yeah. was a younger version than what's happened than Hedman is right now. Exactly. So, um, yeah, uh, who was your number two then? At number two, I had Adam Fox. Okay, so I have him first. I have him winning mine. Okay, that's fair. And Fox was absolutely freaking amazing. I think he will win. Yeah, I'm a little worried Hedman's going to get. I, I think maybe the Hedman love rubbed off enough by the end of the season, but I, I'm i really – I think McCarr is going to end up third, and I think it's going to be one of Fox or Hedman. But for me, like, I don't know. Adam Fox, from a goals above replacement, it wasn't quite as high. He he ranked 15th, which ironically enough was only one spot ahead of Victor Hedman. Um, you know, but he just – his team was way, way worse than most of the guys on this list, to be honest. Like, well, if we're going through – I think he's the only one I had in my top six who did not even make playoffs. Yeah, and that's going to hurt him if you just sort by like goals or expected goals above replacement because there's a multiplier for how many points your team had. And like the Makars of the world, like Makars' team had 22 more points than Fox's. Like that's going to help out his goals above replacement independent of his actual on ice play. Yeah, exactly. So, and, you know, uh, McCarr finished second in uh, defensive scoring, one point behind the almighty Tyson Berry with five goals and 42 assists. And, um, you know, some of that is he gets to dish the puck to, to Panarin. Um, it's not like he doesn't play with any good players or anything like that. And there's just um, definitely less of them for Adam Fox to play with. And he was pretty, you know, solid defensively as well. It's not like like he had a 4.9 offensive goals of replacement, 3.7 defensive and and one from penalty differential. Like he just didn't really take penalties at all this year. So um, you know, that I think I think he's deserving of a top three finish. Uh, I would be very okay if he won. He, he's my vote for it. And uh I'll be it'll be interesting to see what happens. 
Yeah, it will be. I, I think he wins. Given the non- nominees, I really hope he does. He was also amazing on the power play, too. Yeah, I'm interested to see who have won. I'm thinking it might be one of my three honorable mentions, but we'll see. For who I have won? Yeah. Yeah, so speaking of little, like, uh, proxy wars this year, I have Charlie McAvoy winning above Adam Fox because I think Charlie McAvoy was a better uh, play driver at even strength. And I think Fox obviously has the edge on the power play and in terms of penalty differential impacts. So it's just how you end up weighing those against each other. So McAvoy was my fourth and he was the one that I almost wanted to give like a sneaky heart vote to just because of how bad that blue line was aside from Charlie McAvoy for like most of the year. Yeah. Like he just, and he absolutely killed it no matter who he was playing with this year. Yeah, and then I didn't give him the third or fourth heart vote just because it seems weird to have him fourth on the heart and also fourth on the the Norris ranking. Um, But, like, it was just like it was one of those things where his season does get way more impressive when you realize that it's like, oh, yeah, he was just playing with a rotating cast of injured players and whoever he played with was good. And, you know, it's also hard to say that, like, he's the most valuable player on a team that had Pasternak Marshan and Bergeron on it, but he very well may have been. I, I think there's an argument to that, at least definitely top two. Um, he was unreal, and I, I don't think it's a bad argument to make uh, that he should win this year. Yeah, like I just think his – in and like I said, he doesn't really have the special teams. Um, oh, his penalty kill actually was great. He doesn't really have the power play impact, but just what he did at even strength. And there's probably this thing where – like I think there's almost like a threshold somewhere where you need a certain level of competence – from your like i think forwards are more important to building a winning team but like you need at least a baseline level of competence in your defensemen where it almost doesn't matter if they're worse than that baseline how good your forwards are they're not going to compensate for it and like minus mcavoy boston was probably getting dangerously close to that threshold this year yeah absolutely like it was just it was bleak and like it was bleak going into the season and then they just dealt with a ton of injuries. They picked up Mike Riley at the deadline who was helpful. But again, like when Mike Riley was the savior of the blue line, it's like, Oh, yikes. This is not great. Yeah, exactly. It just shows how much work he had to put in this year. And quickly. This is gonna be a long podcast. Are we quickly some breaking news though? Talk, talk about Adam Fox. He has a new head coach. Oh, well, coming from coming from Larry Brooks, breaking the Rangers have reached agreement to hire Gerard Gallant. The post has learned. Huh? So it'll be interesting to see the details of that. Um, I like that. I, I like Gallant. I think he, you know, I thought it was silly that the world championships is what kind of started to push him over the edge again, as if that mattered like anything. And oh my God, people were desperate to paint a Canada underdog story, despite still having probably the second or third best roster at the tournament. But you know what Canada's underdog story in the world championships reminded me of? What? Like Tom Brady and Bill Belichick, like want, like trying to hype themselves up as underdogs. That's all I could because they do it every goddamn year. Like, oh, everybody doubted us, and that's all I could think of when the Canada underdog story came up. That is so like the one year they lost in the conference. They they won, then lost in the conference championship, and then went back and won again. And it was the year they lost in the conference finals. They were like, no one believes in us. It's like, dude, shut up. Like you were just consensus top three team in the league, no matter what happens going in. But that is exactly what it reminded me of. Um, but regardless, like it's, he, it's not like he did a bad job or anything like that, but um, you know, he's just, he's a good coach and you don't need a eight game sample at the world the hockey championships to tell you that. Why did he get fired in the first place? Um, Vegas was like third in their division instead of first last year and because their goaltending sucked like it it was basically just like 
Flurry oh, couldn't make a stop, and Leonard was hurt. Yeah, their PDO was awful, and we were all like, okay, uh, what's his name? Uh, DeBoer is going to come in and just get a whole bunch of credit for PDO regression. Yeah, and that's basically what happened. Not that DeBoer is a bad coach by any means either, but. Yeah, he's still good on his own, but, but yeah, I do remember that now. But yeah, so I don't know. I think that seems like a decent hire for the Rangers. Um, we can get that into that more next week, though. Uh, real quick, my other two honorable mentions, Devon Taves was another one. Uh, again, he, I don't think he can be in the top three just because it's kind of the Macar uh, problem where it's like, how do you separate all the talent around it? And I definitely think uh, it's fair to say Macar was better than or is better than Taves, but uh, Taves still had a very, very good year. And uh, Shea Theodore was the other name I wanted to throw in there. Um Again, I don't know where he'll finish, but I think he had a very, very solid year. And, um, you know, even if you want to exclude playoffs, but including it, he's a huge reason that they're this far, right? So, yeah, those are both good. And then I'll have a name that we can save talking about until the next one, or let's this podcast last forever. I had Doug Hamilton as an honorable mention. Yep. I think that's fair as well. There's a couple guys from Carolina that you can always expect someone to throw in there. And I think one more is if you want to just pair Pelic and Pulak together. Um, you can't actually do that, of course, but that pairing was so good. If there was a league's best pairing, I think they would be up there for, you know, definitely the best now. But um, yeah, that's probably enough talk on the Norris. Um, let's go. I think the Vezda and Selkie are probably the two most discussed left. Let's go. Let's have a short one here. This one should be quick. The Calder Trophy. Yeah, this one is definitely quick. I don't. It's weird because there are so few like dominant rookies projected to come into this year, but we ended up with a very clear consensus top three of Calder, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I think there was a good handful. It was, I think there's a definitely consensus top two, and then a handful of guys you could maybe argue for three, and then a bunch of guys that are scattered for like five to eight as well. Um, but uh, obviously, Kaprasov is going to win this award. Um, the nominees, the, the finalists that the, the league voted on, were Kaprasov, uh, Nadelkovich, and Jason Robertson. Um, I think that's fair enough. Like Kaprasov was my number one. I'm assuming he was yours as well. Yeah, I had those exact three in the Kaprasov, Robertson, Nadelkovich order. Okay, well, this is not going to be a fun award then because that is exactly what I had as well. I, I think um, to me, one and two is just absolute slam dunk. There's there's no no yep. other way around that to me, right? Like. Yeah, it's too bad that Delkovich didn't get to play more games because he was on pace to have had made that interesting. But, like, you can't just project out a goalie by dividing their output by games played and then multiplying by the amount of games you think they could have played. Yeah, and that's exactly why I thought it was going to be interesting because I think you could even argument argue that he is right on the threshold of even being in a third-place vote. Like, if he had played, like, two or three games less in a shortened season, he probably isn't really um, – even in consideration, but he ended up leading the um, team in, in Carolina and starts, I think. So, uh, and, you know, for a shortened season, I think it was on pace to be like 42 or 43 games, which isn't bad for a, a rookie goaltender or anything like that. So I think it's definitely fair. Uh, I also gave an honorable mention to Josh Norris. Um, I don't think like just the way Nadelkovic played, I don't think he can be third, but again, if like Nadelkovic played five less games, I probably would have had Norris three. He had a really good rookie season for, a guy that I wasn't expecting to, you know, come in and be quite as dominant as he was. Yeah, it's kind of, I was really surprised to see that as best we could tell this year, he was the most effective Ottawa Senator rookie. Now that's unlikely to stay true going forward of that crop, but like he was the best rookie on the sense. 
Yeah, well, I mean, there were some sense fans were like, how did Stutzel not make the top three? It's like, well, I don't think he was the best rookie. I mean, like by goals above replacement, they were very close. It was 4.4 and 4.2, and Stutzel played three less games. So by uh, goals above replacement per 60 minutes, he would probably actually be ahead of them. But, um, you know, it's just one of those things where both of those guys, I think, had good rookie seasons, very encouraging, but they just weren't the three best rookies in the league, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that, especially because – um, you know, well, for Stutzel, like even Josh Norris is 21 and Kaprasov is 23. It's like, yeah, of course you don't need to be as good as those guys. Right. So. Yeah, exactly. Way younger. He shouldn't be as good as those guys. Yeah. Um, all right. Let's get to the Vesna. This should be an interesting one as well. I have a bunch of honorable men. There's, this was a good goaltending year, to be honest. Like there's a lot of guys who really, I think could make a name for themselves in terms of where they finish here. I'm interested to see what you have. Um, so let's start at three. Give me your three. My third, it looked like you was going to win this in a walk. I had Vasilevsky. I also had Vasilevsky. I almost left him off my ballot too, but I decided I couldn't do it. Um, again, Tampa had like, yes, obviously Kucherov didn't play. Stamkos was hurt for a bunch of the year and it looked like Hedman was hurt. So I think this year Vasilevsky was probably better than in years past, but there was just a couple other really good goaltending performances as well, but I couldn't leave him off my ballot because it did look like for a while he might run away with it. And then he kind of came back down to earth as the year ended. Yeah, he struggled. It's just, he was such a workhorse and he was just so good early that I just had to keep him on. Absolutely. And like he uh, led, uh, sorry, he was third in the league for games played. Hellebuck and Markstrom were ahead of him um, by a couple games. But uh, Vasilevsky, according to Evolving Hockey, he finished third in goal saved above average and he was fourth in goal saved above expected. So um, again, pretty fair. Uh, I think, you know, three, I think that's, I don't know where he's going to land, to be honest. Like, if I have to look at what the voters had, because he was top three. It was him. Or was he? Um, in- it was him, Flurry, and Grubauer as the top three. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Vasilevsky had the most wins, which seems to be the most influential thing to this award. Yeah. Um, the only other thing I could see is it being a lifetime achievement award to Marc-Andre Flurry, which we'll get into. I don't think is the worst thing, but, like, it's just weird voting on it like that. But still. Yeah, I uh, who'd you have as two then? At two, I had Hellebuck. I also had Hellebuck at two. This is uh, interesting if we're going to have the same one or not. Um, he was, again, he was one that I thought maybe he, he kind of fell off as the Jets fell off at the end of the year. And to be honest, like to the point where some of like he he finished 10th in goal saved above average, but um, second in goal saved above expected, which I think is just kind of telling at how like bad that Jets blue line was. Um, the reason he's second is just he had one of the worst teams of any goalie and uh, the worst team, I think by far of any goalie in the top, like six for any of these stats on this list. So um, yeah, that's he's second to me. Yeah. Connor Halbrook had 127 expected goals against this year per evolving hockey. No other goalie had more than 111. Like he just was absolutely under siege all year. And even though some of his unadjusted numbers don't look as good, it's because the jets were freaking horrific in front of him. Yeah, and he played, like, most of the year. He played 45 out of 56 games, which is, like, incredible, really. You know, like, that's uh, that's on pace for 66 games in a regular season, which we just rarely see from goalies these days. Basically never anymore. Um, okay, who do you have number one, then? I have Flurry. This is I – mean, who you have these three in what order? Honestly, depends on, like, what XG model you look at. But, like, I don't know. Evolving Hockey has Flurry – as way ahead of the other guys in terms of goal saved above expected. 
that's just kind of my go-to statistic for this award. Yep. Um, he's six goals ahead in goal saved above expected, and he ranks fourth in goal saved above average, just two below or three below the first place goalie, which is Varlamov actually in that category. I had Flurry first as well. Uh, I wouldn't be disappointed at all to see him win. I wouldn't be disappointed to see any of these three win. And I think, uh, well, uh, sorry, uh, I guess Grubauer's not on the list. I Grubauer's an honorable mention, but I probably would have had him like sixth or seventh on my ballot um, if I had one, obviously. Grubauer had a good season. I just don't think he should be top three. But I think it'll go Grubauer three and then probably take your pick of Flurry and Vasilevsky. It'll probably be a pretty close race. And either one of them kind of, I think you can make the argument that either one of them was the best goalie this year. Yeah, exactly. Like I said, you can tell it's close when like, just different models have the same sort of crop of names, just in completely different orders. Yep. Um, my honorable mention, Soros was the biggest one. I really wanted to find a spot for him on my ballot. Um, and honestly, I think you could, you could make an argument he deserved on a heart ballot or two um, if you wanted to as well. Like he, he was a sneaky dark horse for like a number three on a heart ballot, just the way he dragged that Nashville team. Uh, who had a 2% chance of playoffs at one point, according to Dom Lashishan's model, and they came all the way back and um, obviously didn't do anything in the playoffs, but just making it was kind of an insane feat. So he's one I wanted to just give, give some love to. I couldn't quite find a, a spot for him on the ballot, but he was definitely right on right on the bubble there. Yeah, I agree with that. I love that. It's too bad he couldn't have got some like Taylor Hall in New Jersey kind of style hard votes because that's basically what he did too. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then uh, Varlamov was the other name I wanted to mention. Uh, again, I didn't have him on the ballot mostly because I think the Islanders system definitely plays into effect to help goaltenders. But that being said, I don't think it can play that into effect that much that he's not like he was ranked first in goal saved above average. And I think still um, sixth in goal saved above expected. So it's not like he can play that much where he's like actually just a brutal goaltender or anything like that. Yeah, 100 percent. Um, all right, let's go to the Selkie then. I think this will be our probably longest one to end. Um, like for, for what we got left, we got two awards left. Um, this was, a, this was an interesting one. I think this is another one where it's like me and you were talking a little bit off air about this of like, um, it depends where you look, it can give you a ton of different data. And this is the award every year where, you know, people just absolutely pay no attention to what happened around the league. You know, sometimes you'll get it with like the Norris where you get a headman thrown in there, but it's like, at least you can argue headman's like the 16th overall defenseman or whatever. You'll just get some absolute, like just, just throwback names of, Oh, this guy has been good defensively, or we think he's been good defensively for seven years. So let's just make it an eighth. Um, um, this is always the interesting one. I, I'm really curious to see your list. Uh, do you want to start it off? Uh, yeah, I was, Oddly less certain of this one, but then the more I dug into the data, I have Patrice Bergeron one. Uh, I have him three. I think it's fair to have him like anywhere. So the, the, the finalists were Barkov, Bergeron, and Stone for this award. And um, I don't think either of those would really make me mad if they won. Like, I, I think all I had all three of them in my top five. Um, yeah, that's uh, fair. So it would be a lifetime achievement award because, like, this was not Stone's best season defensively. No, but I mean, even like Stone. So I, so the way I tried to do, I don't know about you, is I obviously looked at like evolving hockey's data, um, you know, primarily defensively. And then there should be a bit of a time on ice cutoff as well. And, um, you know, points should play a little bit of a role. I don't think you need to be like dominating in the points, but you can't have, I don't think you can have like 10 points and unreal defensive numbers. And like, like to me, Philip Deneau just isn't getting a Selkia. I'm sorry. Right. Like, 
but you need you need at least a little bit of a baseline there. Um, and, and then I also kind of try and look at with and without, and um, th- that's where most of these guys were really strong with. You know, Vegas had a minus ten differential according to Hockey Viz when it came to high danger areas, and then with him out on the ice and with him out there, they they were plus one percent. So um, that's why I had Stone two on my list and Bergeron three. Okay, that's fair. And yeah, I think Stone getting some loves nice, obviously. Us nerds have screamed about him for forever. It's not like we can sit it like I'm not gonna complain now that he's finally getting Selkie recognition. Yeah, exactly. And like Bergeron, I, I was surprised at first. I was like, oh no way. And then I went and looked. It was like, oh yeah, no, he is minus 27% impact when he's on the ice, minus 18 when he's not. So it's like the the one thing that I maybe took a little bit away from Bergeron was just his team was just really good in their own end, regardless, it felt like. Yeah, um good. And his line definitely plays a bit of that into as well. But um, yeah, if he wins, I, I wouldn't be that mad because um, Boston was unreal with him on the ice. Um, so yeah, it's and not like that's a bad pick. Both Bergeron and Stone have amazing penalty killing numbers, which isn't a necessity to win this award, but like it's a I think very- it's a bonus. Yeah, it's like it's one of those things where you don't need to have it, but it's nice when you do, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, my number one, and then this one, I think to the maybe casual, more casual fan will be surprising, but maybe stats nerds not quite as much. Uh, I had Joe Pavelski one actually this year. Yeah, I had Pavelski three. I, yeah. I find that. Um, so if anyone's not sure, and obviously, you know, Dallas not making the playoffs and just they, they were hurt all year, really. Like Pavelski was a, a dark horse candidate for not, not a heart, but like it was probably if I, if you had a real long ballot of like, here's what it was for most important. I'd say he had to be top 10, top 15, which I would have never guessed going into the year. But uh, yeah, with Pavelski on the ice for 800 minutes, their expected goals against per 60 was 1.77, which is minus 30%. It is just a block of blue around the ice when he wasn't on. It was minus 18 without him. So again, like Dallas was a good defensive team, no matter what, but um, his with and without numbers were very strong. Um, and now I got to pull up the uh, goals above replacement table. Pretty sure he was pretty high in that for forwards as well. Um, like strength defense. Yeah. So um, to, to me, he was just, yeah, he, he led even strength defense. And I think he was, he didn't play as much on the penalty kill, but he was still top 10 or sorry. He was 11th for, for total defensive goals above replacement. So um, yeah, I don't know. I, I think that's why he gets my first place vote again or first place vote this year. This is one where it's like, it would buck the trend of like, I don't think I would expect to have Pavelski in my ballot next year or anything like that. But for this one year, I thought he played really, really well. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. He's like the perfect, another example of that. It doesn't ever have to repeat itself. It's just, it did happen. And uh good for him. Yep. Um, Barkov, I had four. I don't know if you put much thought into outside the top three. I thought Barkov was right there. I don't mind him being a top three either. He had a really good season as well. And this was kind of a season where he finally bounced back to like the past couple of years, everyone had thought he was this defensive God, but this year he actually was just really, really great. All areas of the ice. Yeah. He was absolutely dominant. And I had Dino four. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't have Dino. I had the uh, Erickson Eck was another name. I kind of wanted to give some love to, but I didn't think he should be in the top three or anything like that. But I know Dom Lashishan's model was pretty high on him. Um, Evolving hockey wasn't quite as high on him. I don't think, but um, that was another name I want to look at to know it's a weird case study too. he's kind of like the cutoff of like, do you like, do you think you need offense? And I don't think there's a right answer to it or anything like that, but it's, it's interesting to look at. Yeah. To a very good case study for that. The only knock on Deneau, or my biggest knock on to 
isn't his lack of offenses. He takes a ton of penalties. Yeah. Yep. Which does not have, it's like when your job is to prevent the other team from scoring, giving them power plays is not a very good way to do that. No. And especially if, I mean, obviously you can't just count the division, but like you look at the division he's in, it's like, Oh yeah. Um, I, I don't know if I want to send Connor McDavid to the power play a bunch of times or Toronto's wasn't as scary as it should, but that feels like a scary power play. You know, that happens next year. You don't want to put Barkov and Huberdo or the Tampa Bay power play to work at all. Yeah. Or even like this year, like they're a terrible team at even strength, but like the Jets have a very good power play, if I remember. Yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah, so th- th- that's ours for the Selkie. I had Pavelski, Stone, Bergeron, Chase had Bergeron, Stone, Pavelski, or did you have a different two? Uh, Pavelski, Stone. Okay, so Bergeron, Pavelski, Stone. I think I told you in the wrong order. <laughs> I had Bergeron, Pavelski, Stone, and I did not okay. tell you in the right order at all. Well, that's okay. We got the number one right now. That's all that matters. Um, uh, final one, Jack Adams. This is another interesting one as well. I think there's definitely a couple couple nominees you could put. Um, uh, the, the finalist that the, the uh, league came up with was... Brindamore, Dean Evison, and Joel Quenville. So Hurricanes, Wild Panthers. Uh, start from three. I had Quenville at three. Um, yeah, I, I think – I don't know if you have him higher or lower. I think he did a really good job with this team. They were obviously top five in um, – and then maybe maybe this is one where I'm kind of using the playoffs a little too much um, to my um, bias here. But uh, the Panthers finished fifth in Corsi four percentage. They were, I believe, a top five, five expected goals team as well. Fourth in that. And, you know, they won their division. Or, sorry, they came second in their division. So, uh, you know, they had a really, really good year. Um, but to me, um, I have the team that beat them in the division ahead of them for coach of the year as well. So we'll get into them in a second. But, yeah, Quenville is my three. Yeah, that's fair. I had Quenville winning in a sort of just like – I don't know what the hell happened with Florida. I listen to people talk about stylistic changes they made. I watch how good their underlying numbers got. And I was just like, you know what? Good for Quenville, coach of the year for me. Yeah, I don't think um, – if he wins, I won't be disappointed at all. Like, I, I think um, – honestly, any of these three are fine. I didn't personally have Dean Everson on my list, but I had him as an honorable mention. Um, yeah, I didn't have Everson either. But, uh, you know, with Quenville and Brindamore, it's two kind of thing. We'll get into Brindamore. So Brindamore is my two. Um, and, you know, again, he uh, – part of it maybe just you get like the Nadelkovich or whatever. But uh, the other part of it to me as well was just um, the, the Hurricanes were very good again this year. And they won their division in a tough division with we just given Florida love. They also had the Tampa Bay freaking lightning in it. And obviously saw that how, how that worked in the playoffs, but they swapped places with Carolina and Corsi for next goals, expected goals. They were fourth and fifth as well. So um, yeah, I don't know. To me, they uh, both did, you know, they, both the guys were kind of the same. I, I think Quinville, you could argue because he did make so many like changes of just like, or it felt like that, that way anyways, where it's like, that whole team's depth was just really, really strong, but Carolina's the same kind of idea. So that's why I kind of, I, either one of them would I'd be quite okay with winning. Yeah, they make a lot of sense. I had uh, Brindamore too as well. Because uh, who'd you have three then? At three, I had Bednar. I had Bednar one. Okay, that's fair. 
Yeah, so I, I'm assuming it's going to be the same for you as is for me. The Colorado Avalanche were just so freaking dominant at 5-on-5 five five this year, and they did it, like, while losing players at, at times, too. And uh, I feel like, you know, when, when we're doing these awards now, it, it sounds weirder to have um, all three guys who didn't even make it past the second round as coaches of the year. But, like, that was just, like, Bednar was – the, the, the Avalanche were just dominant. Like, they were – almost 60% in both expected goals and Corsi. They were 60% expected goals, 59% in Corsi four. Like that is just absolutely silly numbers. And um, the fact that they did it without, you know, it's not like they were just perfectly healthy all year either. It was so impressive. Yeah, I get that. And that's, a, that's exactly why I had them three. It's kind of funny when awards voting comes around, we all kind of hold it against everyone a little bit that everyone else was good, but like Occam's razor really just is that Bednar was great. McKinnon was great. Like Rantanen was great. Gerard McCarr, like all of them were just amazing. That's how you get a team to be as freaking dominant as they were this year. Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, uh, again, like I, I'm not shocked that Bednar didn't get um, uh, award uh, or top three in this because this award oftentimes is just who is the team that we maybe didn't expect to be as good. And um, I think you could argue that people didn't expect Carolina to win the division. They didn't expect Florida to be, as good as they were. And no one really saw the wild being what the wild were this year. Right. But um, for the wild, for me, if anyone wants to know why I didn't really have Evison on the list, it was more because I think the wild, like he obviously I had him fifth. So it's not like, I think he, he did a great job, obviously, but goaltending I thought was their biggest difference from this year to years past. And obviously just having someone like Kaprasov helped as well, but it's not like the coach went and got Kirill Kaprasov or anything like that. Yeah, and like, the, so he gets no credit for Kaprizov because we knew he was going to be amazing. He was. I don't really think he gets credit for the save percentage either, which is way up, and that's the main reason why the Wild got good this year. It actually wasn't Kaprizov. And then beyond that, it's like, well, the Wild were a very good XG team, although they struggled in terms of just straight-up shots. But, like, that's not new for this Wild roster. Like, this Wild roster got – maybe better and like well, just did the same thing they always do which is a, they're a dominant xg team not Corsi because they're shock quality guys like that's just the minnesota wild and that's the biggest reason i don't really give them credit for um the save percentage increasing is because they always had a great defensive team dumnik just sucked ass and now they didn't have devin dumnik and they had two guys that were much better and sure he can maybe get like a little bit of a bump but i don't like it not as aggressive as to what the actual results were in my opinion yeah, exactly. And also they shot at like a ridiculous percentage. And like the biggest driver of that is probably luck. The second biggest driver is they added a legitimate game-breaking talent that they did not have, which Everson does not get credit for. Yeah. Um, and the other one I had as maybe an honorable mention, maybe not. This one was way more playoff bias, so that's why I did not even think about having him in the top three. But Barry Trotz, I think, just should deserve a little bit of love for this award every year too because – um, you know, say what he wants. The fact that he gets what he gets out of that roster is quite unbelievable. I still don't think that roster is that good, but um, you know, they're in the third round again and they just kind of cruised into the playoffs this year again. Like just, they, they're never like dominant or anything like that. They just kind of get to the playoffs and then it's like, okay, now we're just going to play clog it up defense. And um, again, that sucks to watch, but for a success standpoint, it's clearly working for them. Yeah. And given like how good their underlying metrics are, you could probably have Trotz winning this. Like I didn't, but if you did, I would totally not be like mad at you or anything about it. 
Yeah, I, I think it's more a little more playoff bias in that case because like they were, I think, 10th in expected goals and 20th in Corsi 4 percentage. So it's not like they were like, they weren't bad. Like, I, I feel like if they did go to the cup final, or God forbid they win this year, um, I, I feel like the narrative would be like, oh yeah, the anti-analytics team. It's like, well, like, no, like this team wasn't bad analytically. It just wasn't a They're top eight. five team. Like uh, RAPM expected goal differential. They were eighth. And like given that roster, that's really fucking impressive. Yeah, and and that's like the bigger thing where it's like, but people are going to paint that as just like, oh, this is anti-analytics. It's like, no, like this was, this team had good underlying numbers. It just, the the sum of it's, like the, the, the sum feels way, or no, what am I trying to say? The, the pieces feel way less than the sum, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, because like if anything, <laughs> and this is going to sound disgusting and I hate myself for even thinking this, but like, I would actually think if you gave the average person a list of the players in their lineup and like told them to rank them at their own position and then made like a team strength model from that, the average person who pays no attention to analytics would be lower or even the average person that does would be lower on the team than like going strictly off a war model. Yeah, probably like actually kind of the analytics team, which feels horrible and I don't actually believe that part of the statement, but like, I believe the first part of my statement is definitely true. Yeah, for sure. And it probably depends how much you value depth for star talent. Cause that's the biggest thing, right? It's just like, I feel like they're probably like people are just high on super high on their bottom six. And it's not that their bottom six is bad. It's just, it, it doesn't have as much of an impact as other people seem to want to make it out to be right. Like. Exactly. Cause if you just gave, if you just let people watch them, and then gave them some of their like point totals and stuff. And like, you took all the names away. They would tell you that the Islanders roster is filled with bad players. And then if you said, so do you expect them to be bad? Their answer would be yes. <laughs> and they wouldn't overthink it. Yeah, exactly. So, but yeah, I don't know. I, for, for coach of the year, I definitely think Trotz is one of those that, you know, can kind of just always be around the award. Um, um, and uh, hey, that's got him a one nothing series lead in the playoffs as we are recording this right now. Um, this has been a close to an hour. We'll probably just wrap it up here, but uh, uh, let's let's give our predictions here. Vegas and Montreal starts tonight. What are your predictions for that series? Um, if I was betting, if I say Vegas and five is the most likely outcome, but uh, the world makes no sense and is a terrible place. So I'm going to go Vegas and seven. In like yeah, I was time. I was going to say Vegas and six, maybe Vegas and seven. I, I think it'll be. Closer series, just like the classic, like, oh, this is a mismatch on paper, but, um, you know, Montreal's gone this far. I don't think they're going to bend over and just lose four straight. Um, maybe, like, you know, if Price throws up a 905 for four games in a row, I wouldn't be shocked or anything, but um, I think they'll probably make this close for a couple games here. Um, and then on the other side, even with the Islanders up one nothing over Tampa, I think I still might go Tampa in seven, but I, I do, this one's going to be really close, I think. I don't think... Like, if you told me that Vegas won in four or five, I wouldn't be shocked or anything like that. But if you told me that Tampa just gets destroyed for the next three games, I would be pretty surprised. Yeah, my my brain says Tampa in seven. My heart says Isles in five. I don't know <laughs> why, but it's broken me. Yeah, I mean, like, even just watching game one, it was just kind of crazy. Just, like, just how patient the Isles, like the Islanders are. And then 
Tampa just forced a puck up the middle of the ice and it goes back the other way for a goal. It's like, you just cannot do that against this team. Like that's exactly what they want you to do. Just like make a smart play. And then, you know, Barzell gets a blue line to blue line pass and goes in and makes them pay for it. It's like, God, like just chip the puck in and get out. Like you have enough skill that you don't need to try and dangle around four guys to, you know, get the puck back or anything. Yeah. And like, honestly, I do expect Tampa to adjust. They've been there. They've done that. They're also at worst, the second or third most skilled team in the league. Like Tampa should still be able to come back and win this thing. I'll say Tampa in seven. Yeah. Hedman's injury worries me though. Like he was really, he got caved in in game one. And if he's is injured, like that is the blue line's good without Hedman, but it's not that good. No, they're very forward heavy if they don't have Hedman. Yeah, it's like Hedman does a lot of the heavy lifting. And, like, they still have, like, Sergachev, McDonough. Um, uh, who'd they pick up uh, at the deadline? Savard? Yeah. And um, even, like, Cernak, whatever. But, like, yeah, it's just like they they need Hedman playing, like, 25-plus minutes a night at very, very good place to be what the Tampa Bay Lightning we know are. Yeah, exactly. To be, like, favored in a in a conference final or, like, Stanley Cup final matchup, they need that number one defenseman. Yeah, or yeah, like favored even while they're down a game or two in the series, right? So, um, yeah, other than that, I don't really have anything unless you do. Uh, I don't think so. Hearing the Buffalo Sabres would like to interview Jack Capuano for head coaching position, but the Senators are not allowing him the opportunity. Jesus. All right, that's something for a different episode. We're not getting into that can of worms right now. Um, Thank you, everyone, for listening. Uh, let us know what awards you agree, disagree on. Um, did we forget anyone? Are we way out to lunch on one of our picks? Always nice to hear. Um, as always, you can find me on Twitter at NHL Sends and Stuff. Chase on Twitter at CMHockey66. You can find my writing at lastwordononhockey.com. I've been doing some Seattle Kraken previews, including the expansion draft. I have done Ottawa, New Jersey, and Buffalo. I did Ottawa this week, and that was a lot of fun. I uh, still also have some stuff coming out on milehighhockey.com as well. So um, check me out there, but um, find everything on Twitter. Um, and yeah, thank you everyone for listening. We'll talk to you all next week. Bye.